Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Clueless is over. It's a full-on Monet. It's like a painting. See, from far away, it's okay. But up close, it's a big old mess. What the hell is that? A dress. Says who? Calvin Klein. I'm gonna be a supermodel. What are you doing? Yo, you're getting on the freeway. Get on the street, go! Are you okay? Uh, I'm fine. Okay. Whatever. Did I miss something? This big hair back? Uh Amber, my plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls fly at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. I'm gonna be a supermodel. Clueless, Andy. Now, this one, different from our last 90s comedy movie, is funny. (laughs) Do you agree? (laughs) Funny then, funny now. As opposed to last week's funny then, as as memory serves, maybe doesn't quite work so well now. Yes. Yeah, right. Uh, what'd you think? Uh, good old Amy Heckerling. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of her films um, early at the beginning of this season. And uh, now we're swinging back to reconnect with her. Um, the only thing that <laughs> between all the stuff that we've talked about, which is her first four films, and this is the sequel, Look Who's Talking To. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I... I I think what I really enjoy about Heckerling is her the way that she taps into young characters and and just finds a way to identify with um, kind of the time. And while this is definitely not designed to be a film like Fast Times, uh, which is uh, more, I mean, it's it's definitely fun. It's definitely crazy and and funny and everything. But also, there are a lot more serious undertones in that particular film. This film isn't that. If anything, it's more kind of of the 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 high school romantic comedy sort of thing, especially with the connections to Emma. And so, it definitely feels different than Fast Times. But there is still that sense of Amy Heckerling tapping into the the kind of the essence of characters at this age uh kind of like what john hughes also was doing like in the 80s so um yeah it's it's a i mean it's not my favorite film but i i really enjoy what she's doing here yeah i think that's where you and i um are uh, approaching this film differently particularly in the context of uh fast times that fast times as representative of 80s high school and clueless as representative of 90s high school and the comedy therein i'm sure it says something about me that i vastly prefer clueless over fast times interesting okay yeah and i don't understand like when i look at those two films together like i i um you know and i i don't know if it's i don't know what it means that i am sort of a a child of the 80s and uh, more of a fan of this 90s version of it when I, you know, was already sort of, I don't know, it came out in 95. I was in college. Right. But I mean, you know, you were in grade school when Fast Times came out. So, yeah, so right. 
I mean, we're kind of in the middle between the two sets yeah, of high school we're students. We're the sandwich generation. But I, but, I, but I would say if there was a generation that, you know, we were closer to, it was certainly this group yeah. of kids uh, right. as far as, I mean, you know, because, I mean, we're seeing high school and some college kids. And so I feel like this is tapping in a little closer to to our age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Clueless. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into this then. Uh, when the movie came out, it was rated PG-13 for sex-related dialogue and some teen use of alcohol and drugs. Want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, you can. If you see an Apple or an Amazon link to the movie in the show notes, just click on it. It will take you right to their site, and you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, we actually get a little piece in return, as do the filmmakers, as do the studio, and Amazon and Apple. Everyone makes out good, and you get the movie. So, in in a way, everybody wins. In in a way, that is the way that everybody wins. <laughs> what is the merch this for this movie, Andy? What are we going to put put up for this one? Hmm. I, I feel like it's one of uh, the many outfits. Like, you know, remember those? Here's what it is. You know, the little mix and match outfit computer program that she yeah. has with yeah. the little cuts? You know, but you know those books that you had as a kid where it's like you turn the page and you can change the, the heads or the, the middles or the bottoms of different animals or things yeah. or people? It's that sort of thing. It's it, But it's like a mix and match of just different outfits. I think, that I, I think it's, it's like a lookbook on a shirt. It's a lookbook exactly. on a shirt. Yeah, exactly. mm, that's good. That's good. Okay, uh, so that's what's going to be at TrueStory.fm slash DNR merch. You can get stickers, <laughs> mugs, One masks, pillows. Yeah, we'll get there. Hey, we're going on our little July hiatus coming up, and we've got just a lot of time to make merch <laughs> for last year. It's going to be great. We should maybe also get ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that would be stellar, stellar if we were able to do that. Uh, and uh, you can get it on uh, anything else that we're coming up with in our T Public store. And like everything else, if you get something there, like maybe Rusty's World Tour uh, or uh, you know European Spicoli's European European tour, <laughs> he's he's very busy. Uh, or the uh, Spicoli Surf Shop uh, shirt, we get a sniff. We get just a little sniff right off the top. Or the Coolidge Heckerling and Associates comedy of the uh, comedy series shirt. It's got the little mask on it. It's, it's really adorable. Very and it's also kind this, of a yeah. law firm, uh, which uh, delights me. <laughs> um, and so there you go. TrueStory.fm slash TNR merch. We would love to feature audio reviews from you, our dear listeners. Uh, just send us your audio file to reviews at truestory.fm once you watch the movie and we just may end up showcasing your voice on the show you we do record about two weeks in advance so you got to get your clip in early and uh, again you're sending it to reviews at truestory.fm it's probably too late to be sending in anything for this season but uh, start getting ahead for next season and you can send those reviews in to us but wait Andy, though, how would I possibly do that because I don't even know what you're going to be talking about next season where would I? Where would I possibly go? Mm, I don't. I, it's a mystery. I think. I think I might have an answer. It's uh, you go to our favorite social network for movie lovers, and that's Letterboxed. And if you visit our HQ page on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash the next reel, you will see all of the movies we're going to be talking about next year, from August first through June, the end of June next year. That we got the whole year. It's going to be up there. It's up there already right now. You can go see it and you can start recording your reviews 
a year in advance if you want. We don't care. But you're going to get there and you're going to be like, God, God, there are ads on the site. Why do I want ads? I don't want ads on the site. And we have a solution for that, too. If you upgrade your membership to pro or patron at Letterboxd, Using our code NEXTREEL at checkout, we're going to save you 20% on your membership, and you're going to get rid of the ads, and you're going to know you're supporting a fantastic Kiwi crew making this this app and service. They're fantastic. They're great people. And uh, again, like everything else, we get a little sniff, just a just a little bump, just a little sniff right off the top uh, of, of your, your patronage. And it works for renewals as well. Again, use the code NEXTREEL at checkout. Just like Letterboxd, we have our own membership. And uh, members, you know, aside from being wonderful people and supporting the show and what we do so we can keep the lights on and keep cranking these things out, members also get all sorts of fantastic stuff. They get uh, early access to every episode that we release. They get a ton of bonus episodes. We do a monthly member bonus episode. Uh, for June, our members voted on a return to our 1981 series, and we're going to be doing Body Heat from 1981. And uh, members can vote on that, as I said. We also do a Flick Chart re-ranking episode, and we do a retake episode after each series where we kind of talk about our thoughts from the series as a whole. You can learn more at truestory.fm slash TNR membership. The most it'll cost you is $5 per month or $55 per year. So Clueless is a great film, but I can't be the only one to notice that the Travis character is really just copied and pasted Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Even the actor playing him is this Sean Penn lookalike and their stoned intonations like, totally identical, bro. Anyway, I do like how Cher is both an idiot and quite smart, but I was also thinking watching this that if Harry Potter had really wanted to find the Philosopher's Stone to create the elixir of life, he should have just chased down Paul Rudd. Dude is ageless. So, okay, Andy, here we are on Clueless. Amy Heckerling, written and directed, um, and uh, starring Alicia Silverstone, Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, uh, goodness, Paul Rudd, uh, and... Um, little baby Paul. Yeah. Little baby Paul. Little baby uh, Donald Faison. Uh, baby, baby. And Brecken yeah. Meyer. Yeah, Brecken Meyer, Jeremy Sisto, Wallace Shawn, Dan Hedaya. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's it's a big cast. Lots of faces. Alicia Silverstone was born in 76, you said, right? Correct. Yeah, October 1976. And Breck and Meyer was born in 1974. But you know, they went to Beverly High School together in real life? I did, yeah. That's fancy. Yeah, so did Seth Green and, yeah. And Seth Green, right? Seth Green. All all kids of the of the 70s that's fun I, th- I think stacy dash was the oldest of the group at oh she uh, was like 28 when she did this yeah, movie she, Is that right? <laughs> she was born in 67 <laughs> yeah she Brit- uh, Brittany murphy was 77 paul rudd is uh seven or 69 so he's but he was playing a college student so at least yes at least he was a little closer in age but yeah it's pretty funny yeah yeah, that's pretty funny. I, I thought they pulled it off. So the first first question is, you know, you're casting, uh, you know, casting for a high school movie. Does everybody pull off the the ages? And I think they 
they do. For me, they totally pulled it off. Me too, completely. And Stacey Dash was the biggest surprise. I would have said she was as young as all the other people. Yes. No idea that she was a full, like almost 10 years older. Uh, yeah. Or you know, so than some of these characters. It's crazy. Really crazy. Yeah, right. The uh, the other name we didn't mention is Justin Walker. Who hasn't, I'm, I don't know, I mean, he he plays Christian, and uh, he's still, a, I mean, he's got a few things. He took about 20 years off. Yeah, I, I think. Is that about right? Like, the last thing he did was 2003, a short? Uh, 2005, he did something called Takeout. Um, I'm not really sure. Oh, see, I'm, I'm seeing that as 2022 uh, on IMDb. Oh, interesting. On on Wikipedia, it lists that as a 2005 project. So interesting. Yeah, no idea. Uh, yeah, he's not not doing much. I thought I, I thought he was very charming. We'll talk about him in a in a moment. But anyway, that's in terms of the the cast. I think they all they pull off the high school parts. Uh, I didn't have anybody that looked wildly out of context uh, in this thing. No. Yeah. So this is a takeoff of uh, Emma, placed in Beverly Hills High, uh, and. You are you a big fan of the of the Austin? You know, I I like certain Austin properties. I don't know if I would um, really call myself out as a, a Jane Austen file, mm -hmm. like Pride and Prejudice. Uh, the Joe Wright version is uh, my favorite. I, I really just absolutely adore that film, um, but also like. Um, uh, Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility. Those two, I I find to be incredibly strong uh, pieces. Um, Emma, I've enjoyed, I don't think I ever saw the Gwyneth Paltrow one, but I saw the very recent one that was done with, um, uh, the one with Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy. Yes. yes. Um, yes. I, I saw that. Uh, so, I mean, I definitely enjoyed that uh, version. I think Anya Taylor-Joy did a great job as the character. Um, but I... I, I don't seek out Jane Austen properties just because it's a Jane Austen property. Generally, it's something else that that draws me to it. So, um, honestly, I didn't see Clueless until like two years ago uh, or so or last year. Like it, it, I, it was just something that I missed. And so I kind of knew that it was a, a loose adaptation of Emma. But I don't think, again, it's it's like not the Jane Austen factor wasn't something that that was pulling me in to make me want to watch this. Yeah, like I'm I am sure when I first saw it I didn't even know it was connected to Emma, right? I mean I I didn't Well, it's not called out. Attention. Like it's not like no, based right, not on Jane Austen's Emma. Like that's right. nowhere and I think it's interesting because Amy Heckerling didn't even intentionally write this necessarily that way but as she was as she was working on the property in in different iterations tv and stuff she realized oh there's an element to that and she reread it and was like oh i'm kind of pulling some of those elements of this character into this story and i think that's that's where she kind of grabbed onto that and made it a little more so but it was never the initial intention Right, right. And according to uh, Twink Kaplan, who plays Miss Geist and was also a, a producer on the thing, um, she uh, she says this thing went through many different uh, iterations that it, it started out as a TV property uh, and bounced around. Nobody wanted to buy it, bounced around, finally came back around to this this film and, and ended up at at Paramount. But her take on it was that it was um, it, it didn't really find its own until it became 
this this Emma story and was the one that just felt completely natural to to the production and and completely natural to um you know to uh, heckerling um, uh, as a project she said it just it, you know all the jokes clicked everything started to make sense and and uh, i i can i can see that like it just to me it just feels sort of hand to glove i i think it um um it, it's a very natural property and and i think they they pull it off there's nothing that feels antiquated or or sort of archaic in in the way they do it even even as you get through the artifice of she's now you know going into these makeover projects for these teachers and the way she litigates with her teachers as a result of her relationship with her attorney dad uh all of those things feel um feel very natural and funny even in their own sense of of alternate universe artifice it it just all works for me i i think that there's an element of uh and one of the reasons that it works is because in that the concept of emma is this this woman who is you know positive and this this perpetual matchmaker trying to fix people up and um while you know always struggling with her own love life and i think that concept that jane austen came up with has that very kind of rom-com feel and putting it into this high school character who feels who's just i mean that's what uh, amy heckerling was really drawn to is writing a character that is just nothing but positivity and always you know is taking this positive outlook in things and and i really like that about share and i i think that's an interesting element the way that we um have this character who just is uh, incredibly positive and i mean yes she's wanting to initially start matchmaking so that she can get better grades it you know it kind of starts that way where it's like what can i do to get a better grade from uh from uh, uh my my teacher and and so yes there is kind of a, a selfish motivation but it's it becomes that thing that that kind of turns into something more for her as she realizes um you know there's something great about this and and wanting to take ty who's just kind of i mean she when she shows up this is Brittany murphy's character she's just i mean she's got terribly dyed hair she's wearing <laughs> very 90s outfit you know kind of it's the the worst of the 90s like that sort of outfit that we were all probably wearing and wants to do uh, a makeover and help her and and that's really where it starts and and i found i don't know i just i think in context of what heckerling latched onto with that the character and her motivations in the book and translating it into this high school story it just worked it it found a home that that felt very natural in the story here one of the things I think is really interesting about this movie, and maybe it's just, um, maybe it's dated, maybe it's just the way it's dated, is that it is a movie that is about extraordinary wealth, right? We're in Beverly Hills. It's a definitely a, a Southern California story. Um, and, it, you know, every time we see Cher, she is, you know, she's wearing some new outfit. She's doing this crazy matchmaking computer thing about all of her clothes and fashion. Um, she's with other kids who clearly have a lot of wealthy signs of her wealth, like the fact that her daddy bought her a car to learn to drive on uh, <laughs> and just she just takes off driving it without a license like that's all played for comic effect. And I wonder how well this movie would have played had it been released today when cultural tides turn have have turned a little bit against extraordinary wealth and 
and you know the way the dynamic has shifted um playing like one of the things that i think is so effortless about this movie is how it makes share a sympathetic character you know in spite of the fact that she's she's you know we're in this atmosphere of extraordinary you know exuberant wealth what do you think about that Did that hit you at all not not a ton i mean it's definitely something that's there However, I mean, it's a it's not a great comparison, but I mean, in our in last week's episode, we were talking about Suzanne Beer's film After the Wedding. And in that film, there's a very, very rich character who uses his money and his his position to kind of manipulate a bunch of people and get them into a particular situation. Um, But, you know, I mean, you brought up on that show that that it's it's not necessarily the. Um, money as like you know the bad guy just because he's got all this money and is doing these things. It's it's kind of that, um, and I gosh, I can't remember the the way that you described it, but it's it's like that that use of money that is just you don't you don't even realize you know the way that you're able to use money to get what you need. You know, yeah, yeah, that sort of thoughtless privilege. Yeah, right. There and there's definitely that in this. It's interesting because in the world of cinematic storytelling, I think there are often characters that have more money and it just makes it easier for, in context of a film, to tell the story they're wanting to tell because um, they're able to just get the things that they need to in context for the story to happen. You know, and oh yeah, it just makes easy narrative choices, right? Right, right. You don't have to worry about that. And I think you know you'll see a lot of movies where, um, you know, murder mysteries or whatever it is, where it's, they're just rich people, and it just it makes for it. It, it almost is just a setting, and it it becomes um, less of an issue about you know pointing out issues between classes or anything like that. Sure, and. And so I think there's an element of that. I think because share is just so kind of um, positive and casual. I, I don't think it is quite as much of an issue. Um, but I, I do think that, um, like, I think they could still make this film today and I don't think it would be an issue, but I do think there would be elements that they, uh, brought into the script to just have some more commentary about that than you necessarily needed to in the mid nineties. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think you you add on this other layer of it, which is that, you know, Cher, who is ha, has cultivated this sort of air of world uh, like she's worldliness through fashion and culture. It's the same sort of thing that we get with Legally Blonde. Like we we have these this sort of character that is brighter than book smarts. Right. And what a great example in her, you know, uh, anytime she's in Mr. Hall's class in one of her debates, right? Uh, talking about the the trials of the Hadians, um, which, as an aside, uh, apparently they did not expect Alicia to say Hadians. That's not how it was scripted, and they just didn't correct her. She didn't know how to how to pronounce how to, Haitians, how to, that, right. that it was pronounced Haitians. And I think that is meta delightful. But as a character, it's really. It, it really highlights the fact that this is just like obscene wealth and um, with a layer of uh, inanity, stupidity uh, that is uh, that that we appreciate because of charm. And 
I, I think you're right. I think this that's a thing that they get away with because the movie is, um, you know, is is from 25 years ago, 27 years ago. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> and, and as an artifact of history, it is one thing. But you're right. It would have to be addressed, I, I think, if it were if it were made today in some capacity. I mean, it's definitely a thing. I mean, I, I think any of those sorts of movies, I mean, overboard or things like that, where there's there's a definite kind of bifurcation of of social status. I, I think it's it's definitely something where you're going to get uh, like telling those stories nowadays. There there will need to be some lines addressing that. So in terms of that angle, right? Share getting we we like share because she is uh, charming. And we let all the other stuff, you know, sweep under the rug. Let's talk then about Brittany Murphy, because Brittany Murphy becomes the primary, um, you know, uh, vector for the big makeover. And Brittany Murphy's introduction, as you said, she shows up on the tennis court. She's the new uh, the new kid. And um, what did you what did you think of her performance here? I I mean, I I love her and and. This is, I think, something that I find works so well with all of the characters as brought to life by Amy Heckerling and these actors is they tapped into a real authenticity of the characters. And even if I don't necessarily, um, you know, I, like the character is not somebody who's portrayed as as somebody you're best friends with, like Amber, for example, uh, I still feel like I know who that character is. Brittany Murphy comes in and uh, I just, I feel like she was this, uh, I mean, she just, she comes across as that kind of very positive girl who if, is new in town and and doesn't know who to hang with. And and the way that she ends up like connecting and everything with, with, uh, with uh, Cher and Dion, it just like, it just feels authentic. And I really enjoy that with her character and, and that sense of, joy that she gets in in people you know wanting to take her under their wing and help her out and and so she was just i mean she's just so sweet and and uh you know happy with everything i really enjoyed the way that her character um plays and the fact that there's a clear connection between her and breck and meyer's character um <laughs> which i mean it's funny that you know that uh Cher kind of keeps pushing her away from him because he's one of the the stoners but that's really the connection that needs to happen and and I do I like how that becomes something for Cher to finally realize that there's there can be something there like I, the way that all everything unfolded I really enjoyed yeah the fact that she keeps pushing him toward Jeremy Sisto's uh character who's a nightmare factory um, and <laughs> good old Elton, yeah. uh, and, and misses misses the fact that there's already a, a match to be made um i, I think is is fascinating uh, it is uh, Brittany murphy's portrayal i t- takes me a while every time i watch this movie to get into her character at first i find her kind of obnoxious like i just like she doesn't have she has that same sort of innocence that share that share has but for some reason comes off as obnoxious. Like I don't, and, and I'm sure that's part of the, uh, that's part of the transformation, right? That's part of the project that she's, she is obnoxious and Cher needs to go to work on her. I finally 
kind of figure out my relationship as an audience member with her when she starts doing rolling with the homies at the party. Um, because I, I really struggle with her in, in the beginning. Like I, I struggle. You just don't like Jersey people. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I did, I did time in Jersey. <laughs> Maybe that was yeah. it. Maybe you felt um, a little like, well, it's too close to home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was it. I uh, so I I just I just find that it it is it is interesting that she has the same sort of obnoxiousness and and not as much of the charm that Cher has, and, and so I, I I struggle with that. And, well, and maybe that's why, and, and I because I completely agree, but maybe that's why I find her to be a perfect character for that role. Right? She's the one who yeah she she has the same things feels a little different, feels a little more rough around the edges. It makes sense why Cher would want to latch onto her. It also makes sense why later in the film, she's the one, like, there's there's antagonism in their relationship. Yeah, she becomes a monster. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting and why that character works so well for me. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, the other characters in particular, uh, so Stacey Dash, you already mentioned as Dion, um, the the old lady uh, of, the, of the mix. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The elder states older than even Paul Rudd. It, it's interesting to watch her in this movie because of her sort of modern reputation uh, and, yes. and her ideology, which I so radically disagree with uh, everything about her. She's still super charming in this movie. And I love the relationship between um, Silverstone and Dash. I, I she's it, it's hard not to not to love their their vapid little um, connection. She works well in context as like the best friend. And, uh, you know, she doesn't have as much going on with her. She's just kind of the, um, the sounding board for everything that, um, that Cher is doing, but it works well. And we also do get, uh, the great, uh, kind of adorable relationship that she has with Donald Faison's character. Um, and I, I like the fact that it's, it's a, you know, there's a, it feels like kind of that high school relationship of people just kind of sorting out their the way that they're going to work together, if they're going to work together. And he seems, if there's anyone that really feels like an actual high school student, it's Donald Faison, who just, he, oh. he, is, he is just like a goof and like is making decisions rashly, like deciding to shave his head and the way that he says things about, you know, her, her being a woman and whatever, whatever that thing that he says at some point. Keeping about, it real. I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. <laughs> he's getting his head shaved. Oh, he's, I'm he's dying. A, he is a piece of work. He is very funny. So, yeah, I, I think it is. And, and he's, he is designed, I think, designed to be obnoxious and and uh, designed to be that sort of immature high school boy yeah uh trying to reach trying to reach i don't often uh, like i look at it and i think oh i don't understand why she keep puts up with him like why she puts up with just how obnoxious she is she is or he is and but i think that speaks to that that high school connection like there's that obnoxiousness with the characters and the the sense of playing the roles that they need to play with their clicks and everything but also i feel like there's that sense of uh, and i think that Cher says it at one point like when the way that they react like the 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 sincerity and the love they show to each other when they don't think anyone else is looking or something like that, you know, and it, uh-huh. it speaks to kind of that sense of connection that they, they actually have as people. And so I, I definitely, um, I, I enjoy 
them as characters together. I, I do too. It is um, uh, the the whole conversation they have about woman. You know, he, he keeps calling her woman, and she says, "I don't like it," and then he justifies it with like woke speech. Uh, is that that is one piece that really sticks out at me as a kind of a sore thumb? Like how that was written. That that is a dated commentary. Uh, and I, I don't think that would play, uh, anymore in a, in a contemporary film, uh, because it says so much more about him, uh, than that language was ever intended to communicate, right? Um, as a, as a joke. Uh, today, I think that speech is more loaded. Yes, I, I think so. But I, I think because it's coming out of that particular character's mouth, I, I think it ends up, I don't know, I, I, uh, it feels written. But also, I think that there's something very funny and obnoxious about it. And yeah, if there's anything about it, I, I mean, I think it's designed to be kind of that obnoxious and poking at stereotypes and yeah. i think if they were to rework it for modern um audiences i think that he would be finding a way to still be um acknowledging his love for her while poking at um kind of the modern wokeness of yeah. of you know not doing that well and truth be told she would be the one to be rewritten right he can have that language and that worldview uh all they want but she would have a stronger response to that language, I think that's the part that would be rewritten. Uh, I, I don't think they would change his language at all. I think he's that describes who he is. It's part of the gag, um, and 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 it's part of his immaturity. Uh, it's part of him trying to be something that he's not. He's posing, right? And that's uh, that's that's the point. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Um, we also have uh, we we talked about we mentioned baby Paul Rudd, but yeah, Paul Rudd um, is playing Josh. This is shares. Uh, Ex stepbrother, and the one that she ends up falling for in the end, she has her uh, revelation in front of the lit up fountain, which is a, a great little moment. But yeah, this is that moment where, or this is that character that um, he is a college student. He is kind of um, ab above her and all, and and he's the one who kind of points out all of the obnoxiousness with everything that she's doing and the way that she talks and all that sort of stuff but also actually has a genuine connection with her. And and so, um, you know, he, he plays it great. And it's Paul Rudd. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard not to love the guy. Yeah, he's really playing Paul Rudd. <laughs> this feels like the the least of a stretch uh for in in terms of performances in this movie he's i think he's he's fantastic he is like as generic uh kind comedic uh as as they come i like him a lot how does the uh does the ex step brother relationship uh hit home for you still well i mean it's always one of those things inevitably i'm sure that it happens you know they're not actually related their parents are no longer married and they weren't married for that long anyway as it sounds i mean his it was my impression is that it was um shares first and only stepmom her real mom had died uh, this was her first stepmom it didn't last very long but it was um her it was his third stepdad or father figure right because he mm -hmm. said he's she's on husband number four right now right so i i don't think that there's a strong connection it's not like they were um 
you know, married for decades and they grew up yeah. together. It was a very short period of time. And so I, I think it's okay. The fact that they're together inevitably, again, it's not like they, there's nothing illegal about it. It's not like they're a real brother and sister. Um, it's just less awkward because their parents had been married for such a short period of time. Yeah. Is it legal? I mean, she was under 18, right? She was 16. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when they get married. Yeah. That uh, or yeah, if they got right, married, right, I'm saying if they got it's, married. it's not like, you know, a brother and sister actually, you know, getting married or anything. That's what I mean by legalities. I told you. Did I tell you about my friends in the real life? You did. Friends I had. That's awful. They so, were dating and then their parents got married and then they were steps. Broke them up. Rough story. Yeah, I would be upset at my parents. That. But you know what? And that's yeah. on the parents. They should have just gotten married anyway and said, you it's know, on the parents. You, you, you did this to yourselves. <laughs> 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 we were here first. Weird name thing. Like, what would you even do? Yeah, we were first. <laughs> Think about the party that's stories so they funny. would be able to tell if they oh, went ahead huge. and did that. Yeah. They should yeah. have a double wedding. They that should have been. That would have been what they should have done as a oh, double wedding. Man. That would have been Ugh. great. Gross. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's not. Like, why? It, they're not yeah, related. No, it's, it's right. They're not it's related. A societal, I, know, I know. It's a legal bunch construct. of paperwork that's it's putting a, it there. Fight the construct. Exactly. You got to fight the construct. We need that shirt now. <laughs> that's the clueless shirt. Fight the construct. It's just with wedding rings, a handful <laughs> of wedding rings, just all the wedding rings. <laughs> Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so we like Paul Rudd. Um, yeah. and, uh, then we, we obviously, we have the stoner. I mentioned Breckenmeyer. I think he's one of those guys that is so charismatic on screen. I like him a lot. Um, I, I feel like I haven't seen enough of his stuff. I, you know, I've, I've seen all of his like 2000 stuff, like road trip and rat race and, and, uh, the comedies where he's sort of the secondary character. He was also, um, in the last, uh, or not last, but Freddie's dead. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movie was fun to see him there. I don't think I have seen him in just about anything else um, since then. It's been a lot of years. You're not a fan of the Garfield films? (laughs) Oh, you're right. You know, I guess I have seen him in the, but but the Garfield films, those were, when were those? Early 2000s? 2004, 2006. Yeah. So again, early 2000s. Um, and I guess I've seen him do the his bits in Robot Chicken uh, with Seth Green fun. But a- a- after that, not a whole lot. Uh, and he's and, and I say that because he's done a lot since then. Right. He's done a lot of TV, Designated Survivor, TV, Super yeah, Mansion, yeah. The Fix. Um, it's not like he's not a busy guy, um, but I just haven't been keeping up. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's going to be true with most of the people, other than Paul Rudd, uh, but most of the people in this. Like, I just haven't been following their careers, but I, I see them in things off and on. And he's certainly one of those people that, yeah. like you, it was the 90s, early 2000s um, that I saw him in different projects that he was in. But uh, nothing since I think the last thing I saw him in was probably Rat Race in 2001. So, yeah. Yeah, but I do enjoy him just like just like you. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. You know, we I know we're going to be talking about the uh, briefly. We'll talk about the TV show that ran and he is one of the characters 
that or one of the actors who did make a brief leap into the TV show. Uh, he he played Travis in the movie and he plays Harrison in one episode of the TV show. I don't I, I haven't watched any of the TV show. So I think that's interesting. I think the only person who made a more significant um, play in the TV show was um, Amber. Uh, Elisa Donovan plays the same character mm. in um, in the TV show. So, um, anyhow, interesting to see that. Yeah, t- and talking about the grown-ups a little bit, um, Dan Hedaya is uh, is Cher's dad. What they wanted for this was a character who kind of scared everybody except for Cher, and th- they had a great relationship. And I laughed so hard when Cher is sitting at her table with Ty and Ty's sitting at the head of the table and Cher's like, daddy, this is my best. This is my new friend, Ty. Get out of my seat. Like, (laughs) and how fast Ty moved out of the seat. I laughed so hard. I mean, Dan Adea, like he was channeling his character from Joe vs. the Volcano. It was just so funny to watch him as this rough, gruff lawyer dad and, uh, you know, and it worked like they had such a great relationship when he was like praising her for talking her way up from a C plus to an A minus with her teachers, like all of that stuff. Like, I just loved that father daughter relationship. It was it was just fantastic. My favorite bit was when she comes down in that white, like slip dress and he <laughs> says, what are you wearing? Get out of that. It put something on over that. It looks like underwear. And she, she says without any indication of parental shame. Oh, daddy, I was about out to it puts on <laughs> that flimsy like uh, little thing that uh yeah that see-through <laughs> little overshirt which does nothing uh and le- he lets her go i thought that was just a treat um but it, you then get that little nod in that same scene when josh says i'm i'm gonna go watch her i'll keep an eye on her and and leaves and it cuts to dad giving a longing sort of stare into the middle distance after them and a smile um so like who's Who's the real matchmaker here, right? <laughs> Who's the real matchmaker? It's Dan Hedaya. He That's is, all I'm saying. He's just great. And then our other two primaries are Wallace Shawn as Mr. Hall and Twink Kaplan, who's also an associate producer and works with uh, Heckerlin quite a bit, as Miss Geist. I love the relationship. I love the the, the great sequence when they do the instant makeover in the hallway for Miss Geist, uh, you know, changing her hair and glasses and putting the shirt around her waist and and all that. I thought that was really a delightful little um, intervention. Um, I thought the, their relationship is l- lovely and believable. And Wallace Shawn, I, I you know, what are you going to do? It's Wallace Shawn. He's fantastic. I just I it's a great role for him. Apparently, he used to be a teacher. And so it was easy for him to cultivate this particular to tap uh, into. Yeah. yeah, character. I You know, I struggled a little bit um, initially when the film started with how um, how much lack of control uh, the teachers seemed to have in their classrooms and the way that they ran things. I ended up not struggling quite as much when the report cards were handed out and Cher had a, a C because I'm like, well, okay, at least at least he's grading them appropriately for the amount of work they're putting into the class. That to me, it, though, it did feel 
I, I was torn. I'm like, where does this land as far as like the teachers that we've seen in Heckerling's films, like going back to uh, Spicoli and his arguments with his teacher in Fast Times with uh, with the teachers here? I mean, it's definitely the more romantic comedy types of teachers that we're having here. Obviously, we're designed to like these two because we're setting them up to fall in love with each other and, and of course, have the big wedding at the end. Um, but I mean, do you have any thoughts? Like, do you buy into the way that the high school, uh, world is captured here? Like the actual class, uh, structure? Well, it's the heightened, it's the heightened experience, right? I mean, it has to be that sort of heightened classroom chaos. And, in, in, and I think they are good straight people to the comedic foil. And in some cases, it's just very simple. Like the, the, one of my favorites is, is, uh, you know, after Cher does her Hadians thing, Elton, uh, I, I think Mr. Hall says, you know, anyone have any thoughts about Cher? And, and Elton says, yeah. I can't find my cranberry CD. I got to go to the quad before anyone snags it. I, those kinds of things I think are really funny because at that moment, the cranberry CD is the, is the most serious thing in the world. I thought that was, that was super relatable. Like I thought that was, that was funny. I could, I could feel that. Uh, Maybe it's, it's, um, the <laughs> more the fact that the class is just kind of crazy, everyone's always talking and the teacher doesn't seem to have a firm control. And it particularly comes to a head when Travis gets up to do his little acceptance speech for, oh, <laughs> which brilliant. I mean, it is very funny. But again, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, this is a teacher who has zero control of running his actual class. It's again, you're right. It's designed, it's heightened, it's designed for the experience in the, in the context of the film. It's a comic strip version of a classroom, yes, and yes. his speech is great, especially because of the way Sean just looks at him and lets him have it. Like, he just lets him have it, and I think that is that ends up being uh, a good teacher moment because— the the kid ends up getting a little bit of of uh you know praise from his peers some comic praise he's a class clown he's not you know he's not being that disruptive all things considered and uh, i i think it's um i think it's i think it's charming uh, I, I think it's charming yeah it, it, it's charming because the way breckenmeyer plays the character it still irritates me what are you going to do that's yeah. that's me yeah well you're the mode. you're the stern teacher uh, yeah, yeah right exactly yeah, that's not good Yep. All right. Yep. Justin, Justin Walker. We're, we're going to go oh, back to Justin Walker back, playing yes. Christian because because this was this was one of the elements that I think was also super charming. He is introduced in the classroom and he is super, super stylish. He is we're, we meet him as the one who is the male version of Cher. Right. He's his clothes are fantastic, perfect pressed. Uh, he rocks the black T-shirt and slacks. Look, he is, uh, you know, he is the high school James Dean designed as a throwback and, to the rap pack. Really? Yeah, exactly. And his he's got the hat. He's got everything. And I think he is just super smooth. And his whole angle is that he's gay. And that's the that's the comedy because Cher doesn't see it. And the person who calls it out is Murray uh, uh, Don Faison. And uh, that is, I think, uh, I, I actually I found that uh, comedic and charming and and sweet, ultimately, because they end up becoming friends yeah although i i wish that it didn't feel like they needed to just completely drop the friendship uh, like once she said he became my shopping buddy or whatever yeah that was it like we don't see any more of christian 
uh, in the story. Like, and so I, I wish that they had found a way to kind of at least continue that character and make him become like another tie, another Dion, another person who is part of that, that kind of core sets of conversation. But once that revelation happens, we really just drop the character. And that was, that was a little disappointing. I didn't feel like that was handled as well as it could have been. What she, what he was doing there was, and, and I'm, I'm sort of, saying this as a thought experiment, that he was there to demonstrate a hole in Cher's uh, worldliness, that she was so on top of everything else, style and culture, and couldn't see around this particular corner, right? And once that was done, narratively, they were done with her. Done with him. I mean, done with him. Uh, I agree that it would have been nice to have him become, you know, one of the gang besides a few of the shots that we get with them shopping together, more montage than substantive. Um, I, I don't know that I have a problem with the way it was handled. Um, it, it felt like another chapter, just like after uh, Mr. Hall and Miss Geist get together, we're sort of done with them, too. Like, they don't become well, anything. We get a whole more. wedding at the end. Yeah, we get the wedding at the end. But in terms of the overall story, we don't we don't have a whole lot of them. It's like the first chapter is them getting together. The se- second chapter is uh, um, introduction of Ty, substantively of Ty. And then we have uh, Christian and then we go back to the wedding. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I just think that there could have been a little more. But, you know, it's fine. It's it's 90s kind of the the way that the story is structured and i mean yeah just just like emma i mean i guess he would be the frank churchill character who secretly was already engaged and she finds out and so we needed to have that sort of character uh to kind of um break emma's heart before she finds the uh mr knightley a person that she ends up with so oh man look at you dropping like Real Emma, <laughs> legit character names. I haven't read that book since college. <laughs> I would not remember. Any well, you know, Wikipedia gives you comparisons of which character is which. So, oh, okay. without it, all right. I without it, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't sound nearly as uh, insightful. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's but it is one of those things, and it's. I do think that it plays well, though, and I I think that they cast christian really well like i i find when i watch um him on screen the way that justin walker plays him he just like i knew guys like that who were so ridiculously stylized that every woman wanted him and i mean i there were guys in my high school and college years who were that way and were completely heterosexual there were also ones like that who were also homosexual and so he plays it so well where you can't really tell. And I think that is something that works really well in the movie's favor that that we would buy that Sharon, he could end up together. Did you uh, so you didn't get at any point that he was that he was gay when he walked in like he wasn't too stylish to be heterosexual in that tropey way for you. And I say that I say that complimenting the film because I I do think he was just stylish. And had I not seen the movie, I think I would I wouldn't have assumed he was gay. Well, you know, remember I came into this film not having seen it until like a year or two ago, and I already knew all of this. And so, like, these were things that that had been told. Like, she falls in love with someone who's actually gay, and like, so I knew the story. Nothing was a surprise to me. So, um, so it's hard for me to answer that with since I kind of already knew the situation. Okay. All right. Fine. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we haven't. Have we talked enough about Alicia Silverstone? 
herself? I don't know if we've talked about her a ton, but what I love about the way that she plays this character is, and she actually acknowledged, like when she read the script, she's like, I, I, I felt like I was judging this girl for being so uh, materialistic and, you know, connected to like these surface things. Um, but as she, as she got into the character, she realized there was a lot more and she realized she needed to play it very straight and just stay positive with all of these different things. And that's what brings this character to life. And I, I, I just, I mean, Whatever issues I have with the film, like she is just, uh, I mean, a, a star being born right here. Like the way she plays the character, you just, it's so easy to fall in love with her. And, and she's not the sort, like, she, you know, this, this rich girl in the high school is not the sort I ever would have associated with in high school. But like the way that she plays it here, I felt like anybody could actually associate with her. Like she just she is so charming. And I I really love her in the role here. I do, too. I think she's I think she's fantastic. She is a busy, busy person. Yeah, uh, she's done a lot of stuff. I felt like I hadn't seen anything that she had done for many years until we watched Valley Girl. Oh, uh, yes. When she ended up in the remake, she ended up as the mom uh, in uh, uh, Valley Girl, older Julie. Just to be clear, you and I may be the only two fans of that movie, but. <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be fine. That's OK. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, but she's done a lot of stuff apart from the, uh, you know, I, I think she was discovered from the Aerosmith uh, videos, though she she had done a couple things. That and uh, the crush. Just a few things before them. Yeah. Then the crush. Right. The crush in 93. Um, well, those are the same and, year as the first two videos that she did. That's right. Yeah, that's so right. All, you know, all that um, same year. So. A lot of stuff. She just kind of blew up. And then, um, you know, I feel like it was this um i did you see the original babysitter no i did not this was uh jeremy london jt walsh and alicia alicia silverstone um i haven't seen it either but i feel like there have been a lot of babysitters so many babysitters <laughs> i think i i because i didn't see this at the time i think it was probably batman and robin that introduced me to her and then stuff like excess baggage and blast from the past and uh and, and she's one of those people who has been in a lot of things i just haven't seen a lot of the things that she's been in until like killing of sacred deer she popped up in that and the lodge she popped up in that and valley girl as you said um but like you also said she's somebody who never has stopped working she's just been doing so much stuff i have not ended up watching blast from the past i totally <laughs> so that movie that was my wedding night movie. Oh. Is that a weird thing? Does <laughs> that little, thing exist? We were exhausted after our wedding, and we went back to this fancy hotel, and we both collapsed and fell asleep watching Blast from the Past. <laughs> that was that was the that's, wedding night. That's we totally adorable. passed out. Just adorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people make a big deal about wedding nights. They really do. A very big deal. I'm telling you, Blast from the Past was enough. <laughs> <laughs> And now you can actually watch Blast from the Past, and you go, "Oh, that's a blast from the past." Oh, it sure. <laughs> I see what you. I see huh? what you're doing there. That's, that's awesome. You do, you've done good. Um, and do you have positive uh, memories of Batman and Robin? It is currently a three point <laughs> seven on the IMDb scale. Oh, I do not have positive memories of it. Yeah. Uh, in which she played Catwoman, right? No, 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 Batgirl. No, Batgirl. Batgirl. It's one of, one of the animal people. She's an animal person, just like most of the other people in those movies. Uh, yeah, okay. So I have a question for you about Alicia Silverstone and this film. Sure. 
How many outfits do you think she wears in this film? Is this a quiz? Should I? Do you have an answer? It's a quiz. Eight. You think she only wears eight outfits in this film? 17. 17. 24. 56. 56 costume changes what? in this film. What? 56. What? Holy cow. <gasps> wow. I was shocked when I read that. But then I also wasn't because oh, I'm like, she, she's always in a new outfit. Always in a new outfit. And I think uh, this is a good time to talk a little bit about the the costume design for the film, because if there's anything that I think I, I, this film spurred on a lot of things, I think a lot of the, the the way that people speak, I think a lot of people were speaking these ways, but I think this really kind of expanded on what people were saying. But I think Mona May and her costume design for this film, like she found fantastic, unique outfits for the characters that became like a new style. And it really kind of expanded on what people were wanting to wear at the time. And uh, it's just, it's so exciting uh, to look at the costumes in this film. Because this is one of those things where I would say, you know, this film, 1995, I need to look now at what the what was uh, in the Academy Awards. I'm going to tell you in a sec what was nominated for best costume in 1995, but I I want to see what your thoughts are as far as this film fitting into that mix because I certainly think that it could have. Let's let's not forget I was the guy who just said 8. <laughs> so, I might not be a great <laughs> great uh, vessel for this particular discussion. These are the these are the films. Restoration which uh, is a film I, I I know I have heard of. It was a uh, the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, British period piece. I, I cannot remember much about it. But Restoration, Twelve Monkeys, Best Costume Design, Braveheart, Richard the Third. This is that fantastic like World War II era with um, Ian McKellen as Richard yes, the Third. Ian McKellen uh, and right. Sense and Sensibility. Those are the five films nominated for Best uh, Costume Design. I absolutely think this film should have been in the mix. I think the costume design in this what film... What would you have gotten rid of? I would... Well, I, I, I would say Restoration just because I haven't seen that one. Restoration, Braveheart, Sense and Sensibility, Richard III are all period pieces. They're just recreating period outfits for the films. Twelve Monkeys, that's the one that's probably the most unique as far as like coming up with yeah. stuff for kind of the future and kind of this, you know, the different periods that he's in. Um, right. I'm, I, you know, I love period pieces often get best costume design because you're creating these past period pieces. And I think that that's fantastic, you know, but I think that there isn't a lot of recognition for putting like as much thought into the costumes in a film like this, when you have Stacy dash coming on that first outfit with like a doctor, the suit, Dr. Seuss hat, hat, it's like, there's something incredibly um, powerful and creative when you're doing stuff like that. So I would, I, you know, I'm, I would be fine dropping any of the period pieces and just saying, you know what, put this in instead. It It is as equally important and relevant to have a film like that in the mix. But my question is, would you have known that? Would you have had the the awareness to make those comments 27 years ago? And I think the challenge when you have films like this is that you don't notice the resonance and relevance of the costuming when it's contemporary to the time. I don't think you notice it uh, until some time has passed. I don't think you notice it in time for award season. Like this movie that we can say after the after a while defined uh, a style 
you know, but did we did we know that at the time? This is just a hunch. Well, but it doesn't have to be defining a style to be doing something unique with the costumes. And I think when people would watch the movie, just the fact that these high school students are wearing such unique outfits, I think that's enough to make it stand out and say, you know what, we should think about like giving this a nomination. They're they're doing something unique and creative with the uh, with what these students are wearing. Well, I'm certainly not saying I disagree. I think you're right, and that particularly Stacey Dash, like the way they used her character to define the the excess in costuming, I think is fantastic. And um, and Cher is kind of right in the middle, like she's just. Super super fashionable and uh she just dresses smart and uh, <laughs> you know the, when she talks to the guy mugging her she's, she's like but this is an whatever the araya or whatever yeah. the designer is i can't <laughs> lie on the ground in this uh, just like <laughs> that was so just good. so fantastic i loved it so good it is hilarious it's hilarious the way they use fashion in this movie is hilarious yeah. so yeah. i i agree with you for sure okay all right. uh, as long as you agree. all right <laughs> Isn't that art what we shoot for every week? <laughs> uh, is that I agree with you? Uh, okay. All right. Anything else about Heckerling? Uh, as far as the writing, oh, the, the dialogue? First thing I thought of was just, it's easiest to compare this to, um, you know, to Fast Times. And I, I am amazed at how good she is at um, a- adapting her writing to the time. Like, the way she captures the voice successfully in Fast Times and then so successfully here uh, of the youth and the period, I think, is just really, really, really great. Uh, and uh, so I, I loved it. I, I think she's fantastic. I um, just love her as a director. And she's one of those people I, uh, like, I, I feel like, doesn't have as many opportunities as she should as a writer director, you know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I mean, she hasn't directed a film since 2012 when she did vamps. She has been doing a lot of TV. So at least she's been keeping busy there, but I just feel like for somebody who can tap into these voices and stuff, I just wish that they're, um, and, and, you know, we've been talking about this a lot over the course of this season with these directors, just because they're women, so often they're not given the opportunities uh, to direct as often as um, some male directors who likely aren't doing anything nearly as creative as some of these women directors. And so that's frustrating. And so, you know, I, I just wish that that Heckerling was seen by the studios more often as somebody who could deliver uh, some good stuff. Yeah. But my goodness, you're right. She's got a lot of... A lot of TV. Did you watch royalties at all? I know that was um, something she did more recently. Yeah, that's pretty recent. And I didn't. I know we we talked about that. Um, and that was a show that felt so right up her alley because it was, you know, it's all about music. And um, it was uh, music and it was uh, a hot you know, actor with Darren Chris, actor and performer um, off of Glee and his own music career, uh, you know, talented guy. And it's and so I've I've heard it was it was really great. But I don't know if you recall what platform royalty debuted on. <laughs> Is this a test? Um, it was I I just remember it being a more obscure something i want to say something like epics or nope no uh, but it's obscure right talked about it is well not to us 
in particular. Oh, no. It is a platform that had a whole corner. It it's Quibi? a Quibi corner. Oh, That's my God. the thing. No it debuted wonder. only on Quibi, which means now you can only see it, I think, on Roku uh, because <laughs> Roku bought all the, the assets from oh, Quibi. God, so damn Quibi. it's. Yeah, I know. And, and so it, it really, it's, it's, so you talk about, yeah, she's done a lot of TV. Well, she's done some small screen. <laughs> let's say, let's say well, that. Well, she did Red so Oaks also. All quick, Red, quick bites. Red Oaks was another quick one bites. that she had worked on a bit, right? Yeah. Right. So. Six, six episodes yeah. of Red Oaks. Yeah. And was it Red Oaks another, uh, Quibi? No, that was an Amazon, wasn't thing? it? I don't, I don't know. I didn't see it. Uh, I didn't either. I so. just remember hearing about it. Um, I'm looking. It is Amazon. Well, that's better. And that was, it was, it was another period uh, thing. And so it seemed like something that she probably would tap into. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. right. So. But at least, the, but, but that's Amy, uh, a director that we certainly like, um, you know, maybe at some point we'll throw in look who's talking to as a member bonus option. Um. <laughs> or we could just let it be there. <laughs> or we, we could, could let, let it, it live on in its own. <laughs> yeah. We could let it sit. That'd be okay I remember too. liking the second one. I just, I, I, I never went beyond to the third one. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Bill Pope uh, is the man behind the camera. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what an interesting choice. Well, great choice uh, to direct. And yeah, like you said, very interesting because this is absolutely not the sort of project that you would expect the guy who does like the Matrix films or no, the Spider-Man right. films uh, to jump <laughs> in and driver. do. It just seems so different. And who'd worked with Sam Raimi and like Darkman and um, Army of Darkness. And so to have him end up doing this it just seems so uh, out of left field but um what i loved about the conversations i you know listening to him talk about it he said amy just he's like what do you want it to look like and she's like i want it to just look happy and so, happy. <laughs> so they went through he he found tons of images from 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 this type of story that he felt could be happy and they looked through all the images and he's like heckerling knew exactly what she meant by happy she showed me all these different things and that's what we crafted and it's i mean it's not um you know the sort of look that you get with the matrix but it's not supposed to be and if anything between him and the production design team like the colors in this just pop it just feels vibrant and alive so i i think that they uh they found an absolutely beautiful way to put this together and that's stephen jordan as the production designer so in 1992, Bill Pope uh, was cinematographer behind Army of Army of Darkness, as you said, with Sam Raimi. He then did uh, Fire in the Sky uh, with uh, oh, D.B. Yeah. Sweeney yeah. And, and Robert Patrick. That's a big uh, Arizona story. Big Arizona story. He then did Blank Check, uh, which was the, the um, kid, uh, the... the kid with the yeah, um, he, he gets a. Uh, check for a million dollars and proceeds to spend it. Uh, so it's a kind of a kid comedy. And then he does Clueless, another comedy. But right after, like right after that, it, he goes into Bound with the Wachowskis, mm. gridlocked <laughs> with Tupac and Tim Roth. Um, Great and, movie. Uh, then, uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, one that I zero effect. I might be yeah I I loved zero effect oh, I really yeah. did Great and movie. I think I, it is a six nine on the IMDb scale but I, there are few people that in in my life here who understand my love of we that need movie. to find a way to get that on um, the show because I we really should loved yeah. that movie we might have seen that in yeah. the theaters together when it came out it's entirely yeah, possible. I'm pretty sure yeah. I'm pretty sure we did yeah. Um, yeah that was fantastic yeah. <laughs> You have to follow, but from in front of them. Um, <laughs> and then the Matrix, so. and it went from there. So Yeah, 
and it went from there. So what an interesting career this guy has had. Uh, you know, um, I I love that that Bill Pope is on this on this particular list. I think it's funny that it was when he did Shang Chi. Um, a couple years ago or last year, I guess, um, that yeah, he suddenly decided, to, I'm going to take myself more seriously. I'm now William Pope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came <laughs> from. On the comic book movie. <laughs> that's, I'm right, do that's the one to, yeah. to go by William. Yeah. Oh, so funny. So what did you think of the music? Uh, I mean, very much of the time. I really enjoyed um, hearing some of these these songs and the way that they fit into the film, I, I think worked exceptionally well. And um, I, I, what was the band that was playing in the um, the party? Do you did you know who the band was? Uh, that well, I, absolutely, I do. That was the Mighty Mighty Boston's mm, friend. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh yeah, saw them. I saw them in concert in New York with uh, Bim Scalabim. It was Bim Scalabim and the Mighty Mighty Boston's back when ska was the thing that was okay to love. <laughs> Man, there was a period. There was that time. Definitely. Yep, it was really fun to to see them show up. But it's got, I, I mean, it's got great <laughs> soundtrack. I mean, it really, once again, this is a thing that Heckerling does really well, is pair fantastic contemporary music with, with her films. So, uh, you know, we've got Kids in America, The Muffs, uh, Cracker, Counting Crows. It was weird. Counting Crows is, like, they have a couple of songs that I think get, get movie play, but um, I, I feel like I don't hear a lot of them uh luscious jackson world party radiohead uh lightning seeds smoking popes beastie boys coolio supergrass velocity girl and jill souble with um uh souble with um obviously mighty mighty boston's uh, it's great and that's just that's just the soundtrack that's i mean just that's what was released yeah, yeah i mean the, the music i mean it was a, a very expansive lineup like i was watching the songs in the credits i'm like god they just Keep going. I mean, there's a, there's the going. there's the Billy Holiday song that plays, which is that great uh, great. Do you gag. like Billy Holiday? I love I him. I love him. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is one that we should yeah. um, you know find all of the different songs from and, and build and a, a playlist. another playlist. Yeah, there's yeah, just sure. so many great songs. Uh, I like that they even credit in the in the in the credits the the tunes from Buns of Steel three. <laughs> 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 Somehow I have a feeling that would be a hard one to track down for the so good yeah. <laughs> for the playlist. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. So music was was a great fit. Yeah, music's a great fit. I, I mean, it, it's a fun movie. I don't love it, but I I do I think I it's one that I probably would connect to more had I seen it at the time. I I think it definitely feels a movie of its time. Um but I think that's also because it so perfectly kind of encapsulates that like mid nineties feel, I like I don't find it dated in a way that some other film films feel um, like past their prime. Like I'm watching it out of time. This I, I'm watching it, and I'm I'm enjoying the the positive elements of the era. If that makes any sense, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's it is an, a, a flamboyant flamboyant film. I love it. Yeah. Um, is it a is it a five star movie? I don't know. Yeah, right, right, right. I don't I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure I liked it more than you did. What's interesting about it, I would have assumed that you and I saw this together again just because of when it was released, but it came out in July, which means we probably didn't. Well, as you know, I only saw this for the first time a year or so ago. So Oh, of course. I, <laughs> I 100% about that. did not watch this. Yeah. But I did see it in the uh in the theater. Summer ninety five. I'm yeah. sure I did. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, I completely missed it. Um, but uh, well, we'll talk about all that here in a minute. Um, we're gonna 
hop off for a quick second. First, we're going to play our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Buzo, Oriel Novella, and Eli Kaplan. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Sequels. Andy, we talked about the TV show. I know you're a big fan. You probably recorded the whole thing on your on VHS and put little labels on it. And it's still in your library right behind you. Uh, it definitely had the spinoff TV show that I think ran for, um, was it three seasons? Three, three seasons? Yeah. On, yeah. Um, um, it was on the, well, it was ABC at first, and then it ended up on UPN when that was a thing. Oh, remember that. The UPN. Wow, UPN. <laughs> So, yeah, but I mean, Heckerling was involved in this. This was something and she thought it was very funny because she started this as a TV show. It didn't work. She ended up turning it into a, a movie and then they ended up making it into a TV show. So she thought she, there's a little bit of humor with that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, there was the TV show. Um, there were a whole bunch of paperbacks aimed at kind of like the teen girl market that came out with this. There was a comic book series. And then there was a musical, uh, the the stage musical that came out in 2018, and uh, I don't think it lasted very long, um, but it was out there. And then, <laughs> I'm curious about this, did you ever play the video game? Oh my goodness, Andy, I didn't even know there was a video <laughs> game. YouTube? There was a... a YouTube? Yeah, they, they had uh, video a game. game in 1997. It was a CD-ROM game, one of those. I don't know uh, really what it was about. I know that they were going to do more games. They're, they're going to do this whole series of high school games, uh, Clueless, Mean Girls, and Pretty in Pink. And um, I I guess they were released on PC. And um, I don't know. I am very curious about how these games were received. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was something, a, a film, a story that definitely garnered a following in all sorts of ways. And so I think that speaks to it quite a bit. I'm watching it right now. Oh, I'm in share the shareware closet. <laughs> you just match clothes. That's yeah, the first so, thing you do. Sounds about right. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's not a good game. <laughs> I can't imagine spending any time in this or game. Or money on it. Nope. Nope, not at all. But uh but apparently some people were. So it's just oh, you can actually mix faces. So like you puts a face up on and you prepare the lip treatment, the eye treatment, the hair, the and you like build characters. This is a terrible game. It sounds like that Barbie um yeah, thing that's what where it you is. could do that with a Barbie yeah. doll or something. Yeah. And that's just gameplay part one. And I think it's more tied to the show. I, I think the characters are like Alicia Silverstone is is not in here. No. So that's the video game. How about a word season, Andy? How did it do at a word season? 
Did the video game win any did awards? The video game win any awards? This was enough of a. Uh, I mean, it was a big hit, so it definitely garnered awards. Like I said, I'm already uh, griping about the fact that it did not get a, a best costume nomination, but it did get um, award nominations and wins. Six wins, eleven other nominations. One of the big places, of course, was the MTV Movie and TV Awards. Um, you know, uh, MTV. It was a big advertiser for this film and pushed it. It certainly tapped into their demographic. Plus, you know, they're owned by Viacom, uh, which is uh, part of the, the Paramount family. So it made sense for them to promote this as much as possible. Alicia Silverstone won Best Female Performance and Most Desirable Female. The movie was nominated for Best Movie. but What a weird award. Can we just say that's a weird award? Most Desirable Female? Yeah. Yes. Most Desirable Female. Wow. Awful. Well, it's MTV. You know, what okay. do you expect? It's, um, I mean, if anything, at least they also do ma- Most of Desirable Male. So, um, yeah. just the the other nominees: most desirable female, Nicole Kidman in Batman Forever, Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds, Demi Moore in The Scarlet Letter, Sandra Bullock while you were sleeping. Um, Brad Pitt won most desirable male for Seven, um, beating out Keanu Reeves in Walk in the Clouds, Val Kilmer in Batman Forever and Heat, Antonio Banderas for Desperado, and Mel Gibson for Braveheart. Interesting lineup. Yeah. And then uh, the film was nominated for Best Movie, but it lost to seven. Uh, And this, I think, speaks to MTV. And I think a lot of people would rather the Oscars have lineups like this. Um, But I think this is what MTV's for. Seven, Apollo 13, Dangerous Minds, and Braveheart were the the five films nominated for Best Film. And Best Comedic Performance, Alicia Silverstone was nominated, but lost to Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Weird. Amy Heckerling was nominated for Best Screenplay written directly for the screen by the WGA Awards, but lost to Braveheart. And the other nominations there were The American President, Mighty Aphrodite, and Muriel's Wedding. Yeah, I can see that. I don't I don't necessarily agree with the Jim Carrey thing. I didn't think When Nature Calls was... Come on. Yeah. Titty, titty, yeah. bang, bang. I love that. I mean, you know, the whole the opening with the, um, the raccoon falling off the line. I mean, geez, you know, fun stuff. I'm not saying it wasn't funny, but I just think I like Silverstone better. All right. You can ha- you can have her. I'll take Jim Carrey. All right. Out of two of the box office. Did it make any money? Well, Heckerling had a nice budget of twelve million for her film, which may seem low in Beverly Hills dollars, but is about twenty million in today's dollars. The movie opened July twenty first, nineteen ninety five, opposite Free Willy Two: The Adventure Home, as well as the limited releases of Kids and an awfully big adventure. The movie handily took the number one spot, bumping Apollo 13, which had been holding that spot for three weeks. Both films, however, got bumped the following week by Waterworld and The Net, but this still still managed to do well for itself, earning $56.6 million domestically and $1.4 million internationally for a total gross of $97.4 million in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost $800,000. Strong work, Heckerling. Nice, yeah, nice. Not too shabby. Uh, uh, Waterworld. Hey, huh? I know. I open I, big. I was there opening weekend. Oh, I'm sure you were. Yeah. yeah. What Old are you two by do? four. What are you gonna do? Seeing if wood floats. That's what they're doing <laughs> with that movie. That should have been the tagline on the poster. Does wood float? Waterworld. <laughs> oh, you're the worst. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm glad we talked about it. I'm glad it was on this list. It sure as hell is funnier than Buffy. 
It definitely is. Definitely is. Uh, and it's better than Buffy. Definitely is better than Buffy. So um, yeah. we will yes. talk a little bit more about all that. Uh, but first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Stacy Titles, The Last Supper. A storm is brewing, my friends. Someone has to stop it. Every Sunday for about a year now, we've been inviting a guest over for dinner and discussion. Mike, this is Mark. Oh, hey, Mark, this is Zach. We're a bunch of damn liberals. What are you, a Nazi? Or is that too far to the left? Hitler had the right idea. Excuse me? Let this pass. We can go on with the rest of our lives. This is terrible! What if you kill somebody whose death makes the world a better place? The blue bottle is bad. The green bottle is good. Everyone, this is Reverend Gerald Hutchins. Homosexuality is the terrible disease and AIDS is the cure. When a woman cries rape, it's usually because she's already consented to sin. Really? Yeah, really. I've never met anyone who's anti-Earth. We're not even giving people a decent meal anymore. The fag basher had Chinese. <laughs> have you seen any of these men? Ready for my wine? Oh, yeah. Brother, have you lost your mind serving me this filthy swine? How about toast? I think we're in the clear, and would you take off those glasses and that homeboy hat? It's a secret. You fellas wouldn't know a guy get a decent meal around here, would you? Yes. File this under amazing stories, my friends. All right, Andy, uh, what are you going to do with your review? Over on Letterboxd, uh, I am giving it three stars and a heart. Um, it's a it's an easy film to enjoy. I don't love it, but um, but it's charming, and I think that that's a, a fair place for it to sit. I think it's too low. I think uh, I think that's problematic, and I think it should be four stars in a heart. <laughs> I am not quite I'm not quite at a five star, but I do adore this movie. I think it's uh, I think it's wonderful, and I think it deserves more uh, star weight than you are giving it. I see. I see. Uh, so there you go. I'm I'm making it bigger, making it by one bigger. That will put it at a three and a half with a heart over in our letterboxed account, and uh, you know that's where it's going to sit. So what did you think about Clueless? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel in our Discord community, where we're going to be talking about the movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As Letterbox always doeth. Mm-hmm. Oh, Letterbox does giveth. Uh, I've got a, a four and a half. Ooh, that's where I went. From Miranda Todd, uh, who says, Hey, everybody. Today, my brother complained about this film the whole time we were watching it, so I'm starting a Kickstarter to put him down. The benefits of killing him would be he would insult this masterpiece way less. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so funny. what do you got? I, I've got one that I, you know, it's a perpetual question that we even talked about here. Uh, this is a four and a half by Isabel, who says, "Is it incest? I still don't know." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, lots of comments on that. Some people being very serious about it. Some people being um, very silly about it. Um, but uh, plenty of people still being grossed out about it. <laughs> I got one. I got one. 
a four and a half star review that I just saw, which is going, this is somebody who goes down and rate and, and assigns all of them their, uh, I don't, I can't remember what it's called. It's the D and D like, um, neutrality thing. Lawful good is Josh. Neutral good is Christian. Chaotic good is Travis. Lawful neutral is Murray. True neutral is Mr. Hall. Chaotic neutral is Ty. Lawful evil is Dion. Neutral evil is Cher. What? Disagree. And chaotic evil is Elton, I guess. (laughs) I disagree on most of those. Why would you do that to this movie? Nobody deserves that neutral evil you can't you can't just arbitrarily do that with anything just because it has nine people in it that you can right yeah i don't care for it take it back okay thanks letterboxd i've been podcasting since 2006 in that time i've tried countless hosting platforms but in august 2022 we switched to transistor to power all of our shows here at true story fm and it's been a game changer. I love the transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on transistor with their one click publishing. You can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.